Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Our text this morning is from the book of Revelation, chapter 22. We are finishing up today our series in the book of Revelation. We've been in this book really since the fall of last year. We took a break for the Christmas season. And then over this last month, we've been hearing from different portions of the Scripture. Um, But today, we come to the conclusion of the book of Revelation. We get to hear the final chapter, the final words of Holy Scripture to us. I'm going to read the entire chapter for us. It's 21 verses long. So this is Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, but the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, the words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brother, the prophets. And with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, come. Let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
pray that it would encourage us this morning, that you would teach us through it, that your spirit would convict us of sin, that your spirit would encourage us towards holiness, Lord, that we would grow as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would speak to us. Give us ears that are able to hear, hearts able to understand and willing to obey. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever traveled with me in a car, you know that I desperately need GPS. I cannot for the life of me get from point A to point B without GPS. I could have gone to that place 15 times. I probably don't know how to get there the 16th time. I need GPS. Now, here's the thing. I could probably get there, but I'm so used to GPS that I I need to know, all right, there's my destination. I'm not sure how to get there. I need help. So I get a little robot in my phone who talks to me and tells me where to go. I grew up as uh, the navigator in my family. It's part of my job. Um, And I was pretty good at it back then. I would sit in the back seat. My parents would be in the front seat if we were driving somewhere. And I had, remember the Rand McNally Atlas Yeah, that book that was about the size of the car itself. Yeah, massive thing. And it was was an atlas that you had to figure out. You had to make sure you were at the right place, you understood the right towns, and there was that helpful little key in the bottom that says 50 miles is about this long. So you'd take your finger and try and figure out about where on your finger that stops and place it and... Dad would say, all right, how long to the nearest town? And you'd say, ah, 100 miles, I guess. And then you'd blow right by the exit. And it was 75 miles, sorry. That was long fingernails that day. Messed it up. With the... That was life without GPS. And then the internet was born, and we had MapQuest. <laughs> Remember that? And you'd print out your own book of directions. That was turn by turn. But you had to make sure that you marked them, page one, page two, page three, because if they fell and you got them out of order, you weren't going where you're supposed to go. Turn left suddenly was turn right, and you thought you were going to the beach, and you started seeing signs for Omaha, Nebraska. Hold on. My pages are out of order. But the reason you knew the pages were out of order, the reason you knew where to look on the map is because you had a destination in mind. You knew where you were going. And so if you suddenly weren't going in that direction anymore, you knew to turn around. You knew to stop the car, figure out why the papers aren't in order, backtrack it, and now you knew where you were going. It's easier now because you put your destination in the GPS on your phone And Siri will take you where you need to be. Normally. Sometimes she runs you into a dead end. But most of the time, she takes you where you need to go. You have to know where your destination is. I know where the destination is when I'm getting in my car. I just don't necessarily know how to get there. But I think think a lot of us, we're not even sure where we're supposed to be going. When we're living life, we're just living it. 
We're just going about our daily routine. We're, we're in the tedium of day-to-day life, and we forget that there's actually a destination in place. And vital to the Christian life is knowing your destination. It's always been like this. In order to get from point A to point B, you have to know where you're trying to get. Life is the same way. If you want to know where you're going with your day-to-day life, if you want to know what God is doing in your life, you have to know where you're going, and sometimes our destination is fuzzy for us. That's why God gives us the book of Revelation. That's why he gives us particularly these last two chapters in the book of Revelation that mirror the first two chapters of Genesis. These are the only chapters in the whole of the Scripture where sin is no more. We get a description of where we're going. What is our final destination? Where are we headed as followers of Jesus Christ? We're followers, right? Where is he taking us, though? Right? If we're following him somewhere, that means he's leading us somewhere. Where is he leading us? He's leading us into eternal life. We turn to the text today, Revelation chapter 22. We find a description of what this eternal life might be. It actually begins a couple of verses earlier, so let me read a few verses going into chapter 22. Let's go back to Revelation 21, starting in verse 22. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. John has seen descending out of heaven a celestial city that's covered in precious stones that gleams The streets are of gold. And in that place, Christ himself meets his people and wipes away every tear from their eyes and reminds them that in this place, there is no more sorrow, there is no more death, there is no more heartbreak. There is only love. There is only joy. There is only life. And in this city, in the center of this city, we find a garden Look at the way it continues. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. God is the source of this life that flows through the city. And on either side of it, in other words, the the river goes through the trunk of a tree. Imagine that in your mind's eye. Imagine it flowing through the trunk of a tree It flows through the middle of the street of the city and on either side of the river, the tree of life. There's 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is the source of togetherness, the source of healing. It is because of this place that all the nations are gathered together to worship our King of kings and Lord of lords. Life. 
life flowing from God, from his throne. And that life is something we have access to. It will be what keeps us alive for eternity. It is not that we have eternal life simply because we are resurrected. We have eternal life because we have eternal access to the source of life, to God himself, seated on the throne. And to the Lamb who gives us new life because our sins have been covered by his sacrifice. Life. We're given life. And look at the way it's described. It's described as water and fruit. Fruit. I'm grateful for this because I'm not a vegetable guy. I'd be less excited if it was a bunch of like carrots and rutabagas and stuff. But think about eating a piece of fruit. Think about being hungry, somewhat parched, It's a warm day, and you bite in to a crisp, cool piece of fruit. Or something soft, pulpy, juicy that flows into your mouth. Think about the sensation of eating fruit. You're supposed to. This is a a book about sensations, about how we feel about things. When we talk about these different fruit that are going to bloom every different month, we're creaturely, we still have time, we, don't, we can't exist outside of time like God can, so even in eternity, there's time because we are creatures and he is not, but we are, we're fed, we're cared for with a sweet, beautiful fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, if you will. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These things are foretastes of what will be ours in abundance. The joy of being in the very presence of God for eternity. He is the one. He is the one who satisfies us and fills us with joy. It is joyful to eat this fruit. To be in the very presence of God, tasting life itself. And water. Remember who this is being written to. This is being written by John, who's on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled. But the church that he's writing to, we believe, is a church that includes places like Jerusalem. If you go to Israel, you learn very quickly that Jerusalem is in the desert. It's a pretty arid and barren land. You live in the desert, water is at a premium. I remember when we built a house in the desert when I was in sixth grade, one of the first things you had to do was not get a foundation built. Out here, first thing you do to build a new home, what do you do? You build a foundation. Not out there, you dig your well. Because if you can't access the water from that spot, you better not build a house there. Water, the source of life. Life is in the blood and it is maintained by water. This is how we live. We live because we have access to water. And here in the center of the city, right down this street of gold, through the tree of life is the river of life that comes from God himself. This is the sustaining eternal life that is ours. With no rationing. We're not worried about a drought coming in. 
not worried about your well stopping. If you live in the desert, and this happened to people that I knew, your well dries up, you move. There's no, well, we'll see if it rains. No, you move or you die. But in heaven, in glory, in the new heavens, new earth, there is no need to worry. For the source of this water of life is God himself. And we are invited to drink deep. Very satisfaction of our souls found in God. It's all a fulfillment of what we saw in the book of Ezekiel a while ago. On the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. That's a helpful piece of information because John changes the word sanctuary to throne. This doesn't mean it's not a sanctuary, but it means that the entire new heavens and new earth is a sanctuary. And the seat of that sanctuary, the center of that eternal sanctuary where we will live with God forever is his very throne. The water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruits will be for food and their leaves for healing. This promise to the people of Israel finds its fulfillment in Christ. And he gives us what we have been longing for for literally thousands of years. Our people have longed for this, and it will be ours for eternity. That's our final destination. That's where we're headed. And if we don't have that vision of eternity in mind, as we go about everyday life, it's very easy, it's very easy to find ourselves walking astray. Long time ago, navigators used celestial navigation you were going through the sea, this is how it wasn't a compass. It was, where's Polaris? Where's the North Star? All right, found it. If this was me, by the way, eaten by a sea monster, no chance. But back then, they knew how to do this. There's the North Star. If I want to go east, North Star goes on the left. If I want to go west, North Star goes on the right. If I want to go south, North Star behind me. And then they knew all the constellations. So they're able to tell just about where they were on the planet based on where the constellations were based on the season of the year. That much calculation, I can't do. But the best navigator was able to just use the stars to get where they needed to be. That was how they were able to go forward. They understood where they were going. And so every tiny little turn of the wheel in a boat, man, that can really mess you up if you don't know where you're going. But if they kept their eyes fixed on where they were headed, if they knew where their North Star was, they would never run astray. Our North Star is eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's our destination. That's where we're going. And we don't think about it enough. We're very temporal. We're very now in this world concerned about our day-to-day -day issues. And it's not that our day-to-day -day issues don't matter. It's that when they become the primary focus of our lives, we can run astray while we think we're going in the right direction. But if our eyes are on Christ, on what he's given us, and what he promises us, eternal life, it provides for us an eternal perspective 
by which we can live this life. And suddenly the things that we begin to hold very dear to us, they begin to fade. And this is the old hymn said, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. It is about keeping our eyes focused on our destination. When we do that, when we know where we're going, we know if we're heading too far to the left or to the right. Know your destination. It's eternal life in Christ. Knowing our destination helps us with two things that we see in this text. First, knowing our destination inspires holiness. Knowing our destination inspires holiness. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They'll see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's where we're headed. It is the place where holiness is, is personified, where it spills out everywhere. The holiness of God so bright, we don't even need a sun. We see purely by the glory of the holiness of God. And here's what the angel says. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must take place. Here's, here's what I want you to see. There's a shift. There's a shift in the book. Let's look at it. Here, this is the vision. This is the vision he's having. In verse 6, he's out of it. All of a sudden, he's standing on the island of Patmos again, vision over. The last thing he sees in his vision is the glory of God for all of eternity and us reigning with him for all of eternity. That's the last climactic moment of the vision. That's when the, the orchestra gets to its highest point. It's the climax of all of history. He's heading towards this moment. And he blinks, and he's on an island. And it's just him and an angel. Don't forget why the book of Revelation was written. It was written to a people who are suffering. Profoundly. And, and what God does for John is he doesn't say, here's a bunch of trivia about things that are going to happen in the future. No. What God does for John is he says, I want to show you Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, and then I want to show you what's going on behind the scenes, that all of the evil, that all the, the wickedness you see in the world, that all the destruction you see in the world, there's a spiritual battle going on. But I am victorious. I have won through the cross. I have defeated death through the resurrection. And when I return, I will slay the dragon once and for all. And my people, my people will come home with me. If your family members are in prison for the gospel, that's good news. If you are mourning the loss of loved ones who are martyred for the gospel, that's good news. If you're John on the island of Patmos, exiled from everybody that he loves, knowing that every other disciple by this point has been killed for doing the work of an apostle. That's good news. It's for encouragement. It's for blessing. This is where we end. But where we end has to impact the right now. So God doesn't leave him in the vision. He brings him back to the island of Patmos. 
And he says, what are you going to do with this vision? What are you going to tell the church? And the answer is, I'm going to tell them to be obedient and holy in the midst of suffering. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. The angel said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So the first piece of holiness that we understand is the second time This is the second time that John has tried to worship an angel. Oops. Why? What's the point? The church of Jesus Christ, just like the people of Israel before us, have a propensity towards idolatry. We tend to take our eyes off of Christ and the eternal life he promises us, place it on lesser things, and then begin to worship those lesser things. The angel is a lesser being than Christ. John has seen Christ. He's seen the glory of eternal life, and his response is to commit idolatry. Yes. Because he's on the island of Patmos now. He's in life now. He's back with us now. And every day we are tempted by the evil one to turn our affections and our worship away from Christ and place them on other things. The temptation to worship lesser things is constant. And we know what we are worshiping based on where we put our time, based on where we put our treasure, based on where we put our talent. Those three things that if you grew up in the church, you heard a lot about. They are markers of affection and worship. If you put all your money into your career and all your time and all your talent, the question you must ask yourself is, what am I worshiping, my success or my creator? Am I worshiping the one who gives or am I worshiping the gift? Am I worshiping myself, my own power, my own influence? Or am I worshiping the one from whom those things are derived? We are, as John Calvin said long ago, idol factories. Our hearts are idol factories. We love to make idols and worship lesser things. John here is not someone to be condemned for making this mistake. He's someone to be related to, because we all do the same thing. I'll worship the lesser thing, even though I've been given a glimpse of glory. So, in order to remain holy, because knowing our destination inspires holiness, in order to remain holy, we must have correct worship, which means it is a worship that is about Christ, It's about him, about our triune God. That is the focus of every time we gather together. We talk about some other things. We enjoy some announcements. We joke together a little bit. But we are here to worship Christ. And as soon as that becomes a secondary concern, then my prayer as your pastor is that he would close our doors. 
the worship of Christ. It's the purpose of our existence. And John reminds us of that. We are inspired towards holiness by correcting our worship, focus on Christ. We are inspired towards holiness with promise of reward. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Let me just pause here. This verse causes all kinds of controversy and consternation. People say, what in the world? God's saying, if you're filthy, stay filthy. If you're not righteous, stay unrighteous. What is that about? It's about the purpose of the book of Revelation. It is for the church. And he's saying, right now, in this moment, I don't want you worrying about that. I want you worrying about you. Are you holy? Are you following Jesus? Before, we talked about this last week, we call others to follow Jesus. We must already be following Jesus. Before we expect others to live in love like Jesus, we must live in love like Jesus. We're holy, we must be holy. We are the holy ones, the set-apart ones, not because of our goodness, not because of our actions, not because we are righteous, but because of Christ's righteousness. We've been set apart to proclaim and display the glory and holiness of God. If we are not about that, then we have no message to share. We must demonstrate the holiness of God in our lives if we are to call others to join us. He's saying, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. The time is near. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to, pre- to repay each one for what he has done. That sounds a bit ominous, but it's actually really good news. It's, the word recompense feels a bit, ooh, that sounds scary. It's another word for reward. He's bringing his reward with him to repay for all that the saints have done. This is is actually from Isaiah 40, the idea that God comes and he rewards his children. And here's what we can take from that. All the amazing things that we've already learned about the book of Revelation, all those amazing things that are ours in Christ, there's even more. And Jesus just says, yeah, all of that, I'm bringing rewards to. I would tell you about them, but we don't have time. Scroll is ending. Think about what you receive in Christ. That's yours, but the the recompense, the reward, is based on the righteousness. Look at how this works. Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Our holiness, our righteousness does not evaporate, but God sees it. And he will reward you with great blessing in it. There are times where you feel like nobody sees what I'm giving to the Lord. My my sacrifice to Christ is going completely missed by everyone around me. You feel alone like your suffering for Christ is irrelevant. God sees you. God sees you. He loves you. He knows. He knows what you're giving for him. He knows what you're doing for him. Not only does he see, not only does he know, he responds in loving reward. You're not missed. You're not alone. You're not forgotten. He sees you. And when he returns, he brings his recompense with him to give according to the deeds 
of the saints. Third, third thing that inspires us to holiness is a warning. Now remember, we're about to read about the wicked, and you're going to say, but the wicked just disappeared. Like they were, they were cast into, into the lake of fire in 20. Why are they still back? It's because we're not in the vision anymore. We've come back to the island of Patmos. Real time, real life, end of the first century. God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is Jesus speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to, in, to, to they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside, the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Who is allowed into the kingdom? Only those who have washed their robes. In what? In the blood of Christ. There's a moment in the vision in Revelation but the saints are described as having their robes dipped in blood. It is a righteousness that comes from him alone, the washing away of our sins. And that is ours when we put our faith in him. We say, Jesus, I'm tired of following everything else. I'm tired of following my own abilities, my own career, my own happiness. I'm tired of following all of that. I want to follow you and you alone. I'm putting my faith in you for salvation. When that happens, your sins are washed away. You become a disciple of Jesus Christ, and yes, we trip and stumble on the way, but he brings us home, and our robes are washed, and we get to drink, any who thirst, get to drink of the reservoirs of grace. In a few moments, we'll come to the table, and we will taste and see, we will eat, and we will drink, and what we know what we believe as, as Presbyterians, this is part of our theology, this is no mere meal of remembrance, but God communes with us. Jesus communes with us and gives us a grace that sustains us. Are you thirsty, hurting, without? You come to the table and you drink. You drink in the grace of God. But the warning here is that there are those who are excluded. Pursue holiness. For those who are not allowed in do not pursue holiness, they pursue unrighteousness. Do not miss the warning. Allow the warning to convict you of sin that you might repent and follow after Christ in holiness. But notice the invitation that comes with the warning. Come to the tree of life. Drink in the water, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. The one who desires take the water of life without price. What an invitation. He's inviting you to come drink deep, to experience a true joy and satisfaction that cannot be found in this life, it can only be found in the river that flows from the throne of God, it can only be found in Christ. Come, he says, come drink in the grace that I give you, come know the life 
that I offer you. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And then the cry of every Christian, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. When you see something in the news that breaks your heart, amen, come, Lord Jesus. When you experience a profound suffering, come, Lord Jesus. When everything you had planned, when your dreams for your life are shattered, come, Lord Jesus. This is the cry that John gives to the church. This final cry. Yes, church, you're suffering. Rome wants to destroy you. Your loved ones are in prison. Some have perished. We don't know what the future in this world will hold. But we get to cry out, come, Lord Jesus. Come, rescue us. Redeem us. Bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come, Lord Jesus. And then the last words are not accidental words, but they are the words that empower us in this life, knowing our destination, knowing that we are chasing after the risen Christ, the ascended Christ, our King, who brings us into eternal life. These final words, the grace of of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. What does the church need? How do we suffer well? How do we follow after Jesus well? We need grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. We are a grace people here at Goodwill Church. We need grace to even know what the final destination is, to know where we're going. It is only by grace that our eyes are open to see the majesty of Christ. It is grace that quickens faith in our heart that we might believe, that we might cling to Christ. It is only because of grace that we are saved. It is grace that keeps us going. The ordinary means of grace, like the table, like the preaching of the Word, like prayer. It is grace that strengthens us to follow Jesus Christ. It is grace. And it is grace that will one day bring us home, our salvation complete, because we will stand face to face with the risen Christ. You see, it's in these last couple words that we get the whole book of Revelation in a nutshell. Or maybe Jesus summarizes it better in another place. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. The book of Revelation is a letter from an exiled man to a suffering church. John writes to encourage his brothers and sisters not to give up in the face of persecution, trial tribulation. Don't give up, he tells the church. Don't give up. For while there might be pain in the moment, we know our destination. And what Paul says is true. 
that these afflictions that we go through now, when compared with the eternal weight of glory that, it are, that is ours, they become slight and momentary. Press on. Pursue holiness. Devote yourselves to worship. Receive the blessing of the faithful life. For because of the grace of God shown us in Christ Jesus, the evils of this present world will one day fade away. and We will enter into the glory of eternal life, beholding our Savior face to face. Let's close in prayer together. I'm going to use a prayer from the Valley of Vision as our guide. Let's pray. O Son of God and Son of Man, Thou wast incarnate to suffer, rise, and ascend for my sake. Thy departure was not a token of separation, but a pledge of return. Thy word, promises, and sacraments show us Thy death until Thou come again. That day is no horror to me, for Thy death has redeemed me. Thy spirit fills me. Thy love animates me. Thy word governs me. I have trusted thee. Thou hast not betrayed my trust. Waited for thee and not waited in vain. Thou wilt come to rise my body from the dust and reunite it to my soul by a wonderful work of infinite power and love greater than that which bounds the ocean's waters, ebbs and flows the tides, keeps the stars in their courses, and gives life to all creatures. This corruptible shall put on incorruption. This mortal immortality. This natural body a spiritual body. This dishonored body a glorious body. This weak body a body of power. I triumph now in thy promises as I shall do in their performance. For the head cannot live if the members are dead. Beyond the grave is resurrection, judgment but acquittal, dominion. Every event and circumstance of my life will be dealt with. The sins of my youth, my secret sins, the sins of abusing thee, disobeying thy word, the sins of neglecting ministers' admonitions, the sins of violating my conscience, all will be judged. But after judgment, peace and rest, life and service, employment and enjoyment for thine elect. O God, keep me in this faith and ever looking for Christ's return. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.